McNulty stunning for Emilio to get up above Cargill and find Bennett. It's into the box. McNulty cut back for Roberts. It's Gary Roberts from Bosby. Bosby are leading in the fourth round of the FA Cup. Mark McNulty, but a good chance by Doyle for McNulty on the edge. Mark McNulty oh, short yes. for Bosby. Smashes it past McCormack. One by Doyle. Finished by the returning Mark McNulty. First left blood for Bosby. They're in dreamland early here at Bratton. There's a through ball to Jamal Lowe. Jamal Lowe's onside. The flag stayed down. Jamal Lowe. Nonchalant. Fantastic. Brilliant. Pompey will be promoted at this rate. That is it. Pompey are champions. They won League Two in the most dramatic of circumstances. The PO4 podcast with Hugh Bunce. Proud to be Pompey. Hello Pompey fans and welcome to the PO Forecast episode 135. It's been an iffy week for the Blues, a long trip up north coming back empty-handed after a 1-0 defeat at Sunderland. As you can probably tell, I am not Hugh Bunce. Hugh is unfortunately unwell this week. The PO Forecast has been struck down by the Lurgy. I can barely speak for more than 20 seconds without having a coughing fit, so you are going to be hearing a hell of a lot of the two guests this evening on the PO forecast. So without further ado, first up, the man who remembers, I would estimate, less than 30% of Friday through Sunday of the weekend just gone, and I believe has got a new admiration for people who lick his ears in nightclubs. Freddie Webb, nice to have you. How are you? Not so bad, mate. How are you? Yeah, um, I, I, I do remember more of that weekend than you suggest. That is very untrue, just slander. And yeah, the, the ear thing did happen. That was weird. Literally going to the bar to get a, bit, to get a drink and she just, yeah. So, some some red-haired girl with a denim jacket. So we danced for a bit. It was nice. No idea what to add to that, Fred. <laughs> I, I really want to make a witty comment, but um, I've got nothing. She was doing what a lot of us have wanted to do for quite a while, I think, to be fair. And a lot of the listeners, I'm sure, would love to do to get a bit closer to that beard, Freddie. Also joining us on the pod this week is returning guest and semi-regular guest now, Proudy. Proudy, I don't know how drunk you've been recently. I don't know what you did at the weekend. Um, but I do know from your recent Instagram posts that I don't know a single person who looks better than you in an all grey tracksuit. How are you, sir? I'm good. Uh, thank you. Um, yeah, unfortunately, I wasn't able to. I haven't actually been able to go to any games this month um, due to money issues. And uh, it also means that I've not been able to drink a drop of alcohol since New Year's Day. So, although to be honest, after seeing uh, <clears throat> how we performed on Saturday, I kind of wanted to uh, drink quite a lot. But. Um, is what it is. But thank you for having me back on. It's always a pleasure to come on here, and uh, hopefully, I can give some uh, some insight into what I'm seeing at the moment with uh, Portsmouth. Good man. I'm going to do as little talking as possible in this, and just flick it between the two of you. So it would make sense to start with the Sunderland game. A bit of a weird game. This first 2025 <clears throat> expectations were fairly high. I think the. High press worked extremely well, as it always seems to do against Sunderland. There were a number of defensive lapses. Things started falling apart a little bit, and it was a very classically pompy second half where you didn't really ever feel like we were really getting back into the game. Fred, what were your takes on the way the game started? You just about made it in before kickoff. Uh, no thanks to the, the Sunderland queuing system. What were your thoughts on the first 20 minutes or so where the, that high press worked so well? Pompey in the first half played very well, which made the game a bit disappointing, really. They, they held on, the midfield held on to possession very well. That was a big thing. Um, the wing backs and the centre fielders, especially Thompson and Morrell, for me, managed to win those, ball back, uh, those balls back in the first 20 minutes or so from a high press and then retained the possession, make, make, make some crisp passes along the floor, switching the play a lot. And it was really good. But as soon as we got to the final third, it all seems to break down and it got a bit clueless, unfortunately. The front, I think the front three especially. I thought Marcus Hannes had a good game, but in, in the middle of midfield and linking up play, but it was less so when he got near the penalty area. And we're going to be mentioning a lot a lot about this for this game. The final ball was dreadful and the crossing and delivery wasn't very good. I think that was one of the major frustrations, I think. Yeah, fair assessment. Proudy, would you say it's a... 
fairly consistent theme over the last X number of games for Pompey to look pretty sharp, pretty snappy in the first two thirds of the pitch and then just completely run out of ideas sort of when push comes to shove and you've really got to make it count. Yeah, I, th- I think I've I've been seeing it all season. Um, I think uh, I've been, obviously this month I've not been able to attend as many games as possible, but I have been able to see some some of the games on um, and the highlights and stuff. And from what I've heard from some fans, it's, it's like, it's the same that I saw back in August. And I remember back in August, I was on this podcast, I think after we just lost to Wigan 1-0. And I said, you can see like, we, we're very good in defence. Oh, well, I say we were very good. We were very good in defence. We're very good in midfield, but it's just that link between the midfield and the attack. And we're now at the end of January and it feels like that is still the problem. I know we went on like a really good run around Christmas or just before Christmas. And it seemed like we were finally seeing everything come together, but now we're just back to square one again. And I'm not sure whether it's uh, the two midfielders, like I, like Morel and Thompson are, are like, I, I think they are our strongest two midfielders. But I feel like because both of them play quite deep and there seems to be a disconnect between the four in front of the back three and then the um, attack, it seems like we just can't create anything or create any substantial chances. And then it seems like every chance that gets created against us, it looks like every team's going to score, like every single one. Yeah, it's just, I don't know. It's 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 Obviously, Cowley's going to have to, or Danny's going to have to like figure out how to overcome this, whether... This is going to be a thing for the rest of the season and we'll have to go again next season and hopefully bring in someone who can carry the ball forwards uh, and hopefully support the attack. So we're it's more like four in attack rather than three. Or whether we just have to change the system to support the uh, forward players better. But it's really strange. It is really strange. And, and, you know, I know a lot of Pompey fans obviously joke about it on Twitter and stuff, but you know, essentially, it's, it's the same game happening every time. We'll look good first 20, 25 minutes, sometimes the first half all falls apart in the seconds and then we can see the goal and then it just never looks like we're going to score. So, yeah, that's I think that is the biggest issue I'm seeing at the moment and, yeah, with only, what, like five or five or so days uh, of the January transfer window left and it's not looking like we're going to bring in anyone who can improve that. Mm. This might be a struggle for the next couple of months. Yeah, I mean, I guess before we get to the the response to the goal, credit where it's due for that first 25 minutes. I mean, it could all be so different if, you know, that harness shot from outside the area that he hit first time, if that goes in, I think it was a defensive, I think it was the goalkeeper. Was it he threw the ball against one of his own players or he threw the ball? I can't remember, to be honest with you, my brain's gone to mush. But yeah, if that goes in, maybe it's a very different game. But again, ifs, buts and maybes don't make a successful season, do they really? So, I mean, the goal itself... It's a oh, it's a difficult one here because we repeatedly say on on this pod and to be fair when we go onto other podcasts and we talk about Pompey playing it out from the back and how that plays to sort of Bazunu's strengths with his feet and it's quite a, a quick snappy attacking like yeah playing out from the back three. The only issue with it is when you get a defensive lapse, it's normally a catastrophic one. We've seen it before and we'll see it again. I would imagine. Uh, it wasn't the first defensive lapse in this game, the one that we got punished for, where, where Hayden Carter sort of made an initial mistake by taking sort of a heavy touch and then compounded the mistake by playing the ball in field, which is to me the sort of the equivalent of you don't play it across your back four when you're under pressure. If you've you've got an issue, you take it away from the goal and he sort of cut in field. So I think he compounded his mistake. But I mean, Fred, any, any comment on the goal? I, I don't know if there's that much to say about it really because it's... It's just a bit of a mare, to be honest with you. What are your opinions, Fred, on the guts that the centre-backs show at times being so confident on the ball? Obviously, Cowley has told them to trust their skills with, you know, we talked about Hayden Carter doing a Cruyff turn away against Wimbledon, uh, which, when it worked, was, you know, bloody brilliant. When it doesn't work and you can see the goal and lose by that one goal and then you've got an 800-kilometre trip home or whatever it is, or 500, whatever it is, um, it's a lot less funny. So, yeah, Fred, what, what were your thoughts on the goal? <clears throat> Yeah, it was. You don't need to overanalyze that goal, really. Hayden Carter dwelled on the ball a bit too much. I think that was the second time that happened. He got caught in a wide, in one of the wide areas. I like playing out of the back most of the time because you control the game a lot more, which Danny Cowley likes. You can dictate the tempo a bit. And normally, if you have centre halves who can play the ball out, they're more versatile as players. But the problem was Carter didn't really have an option and he still wanted to play it out of his feet. He was a bit isolated. And I think Raggett was near him or gave him the pass and too, up, too far away from Bazuda as well. So it's, it's frustrating. Um, he 
basically tried to do what he was told. It, it didn't work. Sunderland capitalised on it with ease. Elliot Embleton basically had an easy chance, similar to basically how Hackett gave the ball up in the MK Dons game. Then it was one ball across and then Mo Isa had all that time in the world to slot in and score. Those chances seem to happen for the opposition a lot, where it's pretty obvious that it's a high danger goal scoring opportunity and they'll score. Whereas for Portsmouth, if they if if our strikers get it, then they're not going in in the same way. Yeah, it ties in with what Proudy was saying there, doesn't it? About when we create chances, it seems like it was a real Herculean effort to to create a a chance with an XG of you know 0.5 or 0.6. I feel like I'm trying to speak your language here, Fred. But then a lot of the time, I mean, honestly, in that second half in particular. I just thought Sunderland looked like they were better at football, to be honest, which is a really oversimplification, a really big oversimplification of the game. But they were creating clear-cut chances with quick football and playing in triangles effectively and playing Portsmouth defenders out of the game. Whereas with Pompey, it is a case of it's recently seemed like a lot of huff and puff for a less clear-cut chance. And Proudy, why is that happening? Be, be a football manager expert as you are and uh, analyse that for me. What are you doing as a manager if that's happening to your trying not to get sacked Huddersfield team of 2020 or something? <laughs> See, there's, a, there's a, a variety of factors, I think, that causes that. I think we, we don't seem to have enough forward runners. We don't seem to... I think when we play direct, we seem to be forcing the ball wide rather than playing it through the centre. Seem, it seems to be like... And we played the exact same formation. I think Sunderland possibly played. But like when I see Sunderland attack or when I saw Sunderland attack, a lot of their like play was in the middle. And like it seems ours is always out wide. And for a team that has, I don't want to say inept, I think that's too harsh, but we don't seem to be very good at crossing the ball at all. Like we've had this problem all season as well. I, I've been saying, I've seen some of the um, sort of deliveries that get played into the box and they're just, they're just awful and they're just easily dealt with. Um but it just seems like every other team just seems to have the cohesion that we just don't seem to have. Um, whether it's, it's going to obviously take another couple of weeks to like get that cohesion together, I don't know. But it just feels it just feels weird. It feels like either the midfield is too far back with the defence or it feels like the midfield is too far forward from the defence so then they can get in behind. So I don't know. I, I honestly, I'm not sure. Maybe it's a case that if we have to change formation, because I think that's been quite highly suggested that we change to a four at the back, which would give us another uh, midfielder and hopefully give us a bit more control in that middle of the pitch, possibly. Because we did start with 4 3 3, like I think at the start of the season, we and 4 2 3 1. And then we've now gradually moved into a three at the back system. So, and I thought we looked all right at 4 3 3, but. Maybe it's it's probably a case that we may have to give it a go again to just get a foothold in the game and actually create better chances because yeah, chance creation just isn't our strongest point at the moment. I think a lot of that's down to individual mistakes rather than shape. I think if we remember the first set of away games where we played four at the back with four two three one, we're having similar problems, not creating any chances. The first game against Fleetwood, the goal from Lee Brown, it, that was literally the first chance Bobby had in the entire game, and it wasn't even that clear cut either. It's I still think it's down to individual mistakes. Yes, we go. We are going out wide a bit more simply, simply because. But I don't think Pompey attack quick enough with the front three. So all, all the defensive teams can do is just pack, pack the penalty area. And then if teams pack the penalty area, what, what what do you have to do? You have to try and shift them. You have to try and create, create gaps by switching the ball a lot or putting in the killer cross or something. And that, and that's just that hasn't gone well in this game either. In terms of the expected goals, I'm not going to play guess yes you this week. So it's not interesting. Literally nothing Fred, interesting. It is, it is never interesting, my friend. Well, I, I, I'm saving I'm saving you the time because it's not, it's for me. It's not interesting. So imagine what it is for everybody else. So on that front, it was, I think Portsmouth had 0.75, according to Scout. Sunderland had 0.85 as total, which is pretty much what, vaguely what I thought it was. Sunderland had a key chance of Embleton and controlled the second half, and that's about it. I, I, thought, that, I thought that was a bit lenient. The XG was lenient on Portsmouth, to be honest, because I don't think they created that much in reality from memory. I'm surprised that Sunderland's was so low, to be honest with you. They had a couple of really good chances to score, didn't they, that? The Bazunu save and then scramble in the first half, plus the goal itself. I'm surprised that theirs was as well below one at least. I think it's it's interesting for me comparing 
possibly comparing the Wimbledon game and the Sunderland game. And obviously that's easy to do because they're back to back. But the way I've seen it, and please jump in and disagree with me, is that the Wimbledon game was a systemic problem where for me, the Cowleys got a bit outmaneuvered, possibly for the first time I've seen that take place. I think Wimbledon's system, it completely blunted Pompey's attacking threat, mostly through the sheer number of overlaps out to, well, in particular on the right, out to Romeo, the number that got intercepted because of the way that Wimbledon tracked back and packed the fence and then rushed at the right time to to cut out those overlaps. But I thought the Sunderland game was, you know, the, the system undoubtedly worked in the first half. And I think the Sunderland game is potentially more on the players and the Wimbledon game is more on the coaching staff, which is really clever of me to alienate the entire club there in, in one sentence. But I think they were very different games and disappointing for very different reasons. But I mean, on paper, in isolation, a 1-0 defeat away against a team who were second in the league. I mean, you could get pelted for saying it, but on, on paper, that wasn't dreadful. And I'm not saying that Pompey should ever expect to lose any game in this league. But I think it was the manner of it, which which kind of brings us to the reaction element. And I'm going to pass over to, I'll go with Fred here because I'm going to choke in a sec. Reaction to conceding Fred. Issue against MK the week before. And an issue again here. Why are things going so flat when we concede? Multiple reasons. A lot of that probably down to confidence, especially since the last few games, Pompey have struggled so much to score a goal. They work, especially since they worked that hard in the first half. They they, they obviously knew that they played some nice football. Players like Tyler Walker were cutting in, getting into the game a lot, but then they create nothing. And then all of a sudden, click of the fingers and they're 1 0 down. And it seems like the opposition haven't worked as hard for a better result so it just immediately goes flat and we've seen that a fair bit this season where Danny Cowley's had to try and pick the players off the ground at half time during Dink talks which is something that Kenny Jacket couldn't do but it's sometimes something their manager shouldn't have to do with with regularity and then and then from there I'm sure I'm sure it's just completely down to the mental side of it because as soon as Borsal conceded the press went the same amount of midfield runs weren't being made anymore. So the back three found it harder to play the ball out properly and it sent a ripple effect for the entire team. So if that's the case, I don't think it's down to tactical setup. I think it's just heads going, to be honest. I'd be really interested to see or to know what Pompey are doing with regards to sort of sports psychology at the moment. I'd be fascinated to know what they're implementing. I've got no doubt they have a sports psychologist. I mean, pretty much every professional team does now. But... I'd be interested to know how they're tackling this because it is such a recurrent theme. I mean, the fact that we're picking up on it so clearly and we're not, I mean, I don't want to shock anyone, but we're not exactly football experts professionally, except, you know, I don't want to, don't want to shine light to up your ass too much there, Proudy, but you've probably got the most managerial experience of all of us and yours is all on a computer as far as I know. If we're picking up on it so clearly, then it's a huge, huge issue. And what I'm, what I'm seeing is when we concede rather than a, right, we need to get back into this now mm. and sort of a bit more drive. It's more of a alpha f- mm. sake. And then just, and it's like, it's like a balloon gets popped and there's nothing there. There's no spicy fight back. And it's, mm. it's frustrating to watch because it's such a recurrent theme now. <clears throat> I mean, it, again, zooming out big picture form over the last, what, 13, 14 games on paper, not bad mm. at all. Form since the enforced COVID break, shite, honestly, yeah. and the manner of them as well. It's a, it's a bit of a concern. I think um, it, was so, definitely, it was like definitely a momentum break, wasn't it? Yeah, 100%. 100%. To be honest with you, it, it would have been very on brand for Pompey. It was that first chance that Sunderland had after Pompey had dominated without really creating anything spectacular, where Bazunu made that one save and then sort of scrambled away the rebound. I was very much expecting that to go, and it would have been very, very on brand. <clears throat> to get caught out like that, sort of on the, on the break almost. Let's fast forward into the second half a little bit then. Pompey are now chasing the game, in theory, not really chasing the game in practice, as far as we could tell. And it just petered out, didn't it? I think the songs stopped being about the game in the stand. They started being about other things. There wasn't really any drive on the pitch that I could tell. And again, I know that this is something that Hugh's got an opinion on as well. He's obviously not here this evening. But when you're chasing a game, and I've I give Sean Williams quite a lot of time, quite a lot more time than I think a lot of people around Pompey do. But you're chasing a game one nil down away from home, and you bring on a, a player who 
I think Hughes said on Saturday that his XG, like goal creation for the season is 0.43. And it's like, well, we've got 35 minutes to sneak an equaliser against, you know, one of the bigger away days in the division. And we're bringing on someone who's played a decent whack of games this season and on average wouldn't have created an entire goal if he'd played twice as many games. And I just don't think that brings on any fear into the opposition, if I'm honest with you. I think it was him and Hurst came on together and they're just not players who bring in fear. And I think Hurst's improved a lot. But Proudy, thoughts on the subs and thoughts on potentially Pompey's squad depth if you are on the same page as me? Or please do disagree if you're not. Yeah, see, the squad depth we've... we've uh had issues with quite a lot this season. I think now only recently we've, uh, well, we did have a lot of injuries for a while as well and like, uh, and so many problems were happening and it seemed like our bench, when you look at the bench, you normally will have players that obviously aren't good enough for the first team, but they can make an impact. And when you look at our bench, I think the only player on there who can really make an impact and did make an impact was Jacobs when he came on and he only got like a 12 minute cameo, 12 minutes plus added time. And I think him coming on and you could tell that he is, the sort of talent that we should be having in the team from the off but obviously there's you know maybe Cowley doesn't rate him as highly as like we do uh, or maybe it's just because it's not his sort of player I, I don't know and obviously there's he was trying to get rid of him in the summer and then that broke down but yeah it's, it's I don't know the, the substitutions we make yeah, it's like I, I think George Hurst, he's he's done a fairly good job. Like I was very critical of him uh, at the start of the season. I thought it's one an absolute waste of time it was having him because he was coming on for five minutes, had absolutely zero impact on the game. But as I've come to realise is that it is difficult for a player to even have any impact in five minutes, let alone you know someone who's been brought in on loan. So, um, but the thing is, like players like Hurst, if we we're going to bring him on, we should have brought him on earlier. Um, I think Curtis is. He's obviously not anywhere near the same player he was in the first season he was with us. And I think it's pretty clear to a lot of Pompey fans he isn't. Uh, I think his game's sort of developed, but whether that's negatively, probably, I don't know, under Jacket maybe, who's sort of probably taken out the sort of creativity out of him. And now he's sort of like, he is quite a predictable player of what he's going to do. Um, and then, yeah, Sean Williams. Like, it's obviously Sean Williams is a player you sort of bring on when you're sort of trying to close out a game because he's, I don't know, he's he's not been like setting the world alight in our team this season. And we probably need to keep it simple with Sean Williams. And if you're chasing a game, he's not the sort of player you need to bring on. You need to bring on a midfielder who can uh, sort of create and uh, sort of defend, sort of like Thompson. Uh, but obviously Thompson was already playing so it's, you look at the bench and there's no one else that you can really bring on like I think uh, I mean I'm looking at the list here we've got like Ogilvy, Brown Freeman like three defenders like none of them are going to make a difference um, for us so uh, yeah as I mentioned we've got like five days of the transfer window left we have signed a couple of players but like Denver Humes like being a, a defender and we signed a goalkeeper today like it's, it's not really the sort of attacking sort of reinforcements we probably need but it remains to be seen. There might be a change. We don't know. I, I don't want to obviously mention him, but like he's coming up a lot again. Don't, don't no, do it. I'm not, not mentioning. I'm not mentioning no. that name. <laughs> but it's coming. It's cropping up a lot again, and I'm just like, I don't think it's going to ever happen. Like I, you know, Cowley's obviously acknowledged the fact that Pompey fans want him at the club, but but I think the other thing we have to realise is that if if this player was to join us, would he be the same player he was like three years ago? You know, a lot has a lot has changed know. in those three years. Exactly, a lot has changed in those three years. Like, if he's been playing uh, club football at um, his uh, parent club, I'm not obviously going to go into names, but if he's been playing like you know for three years in their system, will he fit into a system at Portsmouth? I don't know. Um, so I think we need to call it down with those sort of rumours. But I'm not, uh, yeah. I'm not even going to yeah sort of entertain that, that. A response. I'm not going to entertain yeah. that with a response. What yeah. I'm going to do is pick up your point on Jacobs because I think that's an interesting talking yeah. point um, and one that won't raise my blood pressure too much. Mm. I think for me, he should have been given more game time. I think with regards to what he did get, <clears throat> there was a definitely a delay bringing him on. He was stripped off and ready to come on literally about five minutes before he did. So before he came on. So I think there was, I think Cowley intended to give him more minutes than he actually ended up getting. And I, again, I, I could be wrong with that. Maybe he brought him on exactly when he wanted him to, but he was ready to come on a while before he actually did. And it just immediately gave us a bit of impetus, didn't it, Fred? I mean, it was 
I think it was what Prady was talking about earlier was where we slow the play down, spread it wide, and then a wide player runs at two banks of four. And then we're all really, really surprised when a League One winger is unable to take it through two banks of four or create something out of nothing. Whereas with Jacobs, we kind of skipped the slowing it down step and he stretched play and didn't allow Sunderland to get back into position and just ran at them on on two occasions I can think of. One where he made it into the box. And I think once where you either shot outside the box or lost the ball around the edge of the box. Fred, would you have brought on Jacobs earlier? And do you start him against Charlton? Um, yes to both of those things. It was a shame about the delay which stopped Jacobs coming on. I think I do remember that vaguely if I wasn't too hungover. But yeah, you're right. Jacobs just seemed to move the move the ball a bit quicker at his feet and seemed to be a bit less, not nervous, but he, he, just, he just knew exactly what he wanted to do, which whenever the ball goes to sometimes front three of Curtis Harness Walker, sometimes that doesn't happen. I still like running Curtis as a player, but I think for the umpteenth time, he needs to be benched for two weeks to get to build up his, you know, build up his emotion, build up his fire, and and, and bring him back on, and then he'll suddenly get five goals and five assists in six games or whatever, which is what usually happens. And tomorrow, yeah, I'll start. I, I would start Jacobs, and it doesn't matter if the front three in Cowley's formation is Hamagasanis in the middle and two up top, or if it's just a traditional three with two wingers and Tyler Walker up top, uh, you play Jacobs in either scenario. I think I think he's earned it, and there's no, not many reasons for him not to be in the team at this point. And I think he's a quality enough player to fit the formation. I don't think Cowley will be as restrictive. Um, anything else you want to add? I'm getting a shake from Fred and a shake from Prouty. Happy days. In which case, we'll sort of go to the middle part of the pod then, I guess, where we discuss some transfer dealings before we talk about the the Charlton preview. Um, I suppose the only place really to start is one of the least surprising bits of news ever that we all knew was happening a fair while ago. Uh, Denver Hume has officially arrived and is a Portsmouth player on a permanent deal, undisclosed fee. What we've heard is what, about 175k is the number being thrown around? It was reported um, um, about by, by Neil Allen and Jordan Cross around yeah. 200,000 pounds, two and a half year deal with a club option of a third. Excellent. Thank you, Fred. That's why we have you to have the, the right tabs up on your screen, whereas I just try and remember and get it wrong by what, an eighth. Anyway, is this the sort of signing we need, Freddie? And in terms of how you see him being utilised. Have we really signed him because he can cross the ball? Or what is this just to sort of bail out Rico a little bit and allow him to play in the position that he actually prefers playing in and is more suited to? What do we think, Freddie? A bit of both. Um, at first, I was intrigued by like the debate surrounding Denver Hume because some Sutherland fans were quite upset that he's leaving and thought it was a good depth option. And then some of us said, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll drive him all the way to the South Coast, get rid of him, he's awful that type of deal. But last season, Denver Hume played a fair bit for Sunderland. He hasn't this season because of injuries and COVID. He's only played four games in the league and and has only played one 90 minutes from what I know of. But yeah, from watching a couple of of his clips and then looking at the stats, the main thing to take away that he's an attacking winger with pace, attacking wing back, excuse me, with pace, uh, looking at stats from last season, he had six six point three nine crosses per ninety, which is joint top for left backs and left wing backs in the division, with an accuracy rating of thirty one and a half percent. That's an average accuracy, but considering he's crossing the ball almost twice the amount that other fullbacks and left wing backs usually do, it's a reasonable stat in my opinion. And I think his dribbling's a lot better as well. Last season, the average five point four three dribbles per ninety with seventy one percent success rate. So he's very much going to link up that play in the wide area um, if he starts and be, and be, and be aggressive just like Marlon Romeo both, both of them will be mobile wing backs who can get the ball up and down be fairly defensively responsible but add more creativity uh, to the attacking play I'm not fully certain of him defensively I think he's an average average he's an average defender in that case and Sunderland fans noticed some struggles he had playing in a back four. So I think the key thing to take away is he is definitely a player for the left wing back position, which I think we need. 
because Pompey's options beforehand, it was our Rico Hackett, who was more of a winger, or Lee Brown, who was more of a fullback. Denver Hume breaches both gaps. I think it's a solid signing, uh, investing in a, investing in a 23-year-old who's nearing up to his prime. He's only going to get better if he plays, and fingers crossed he's not injured and so on. And then the, some of the frustrating things is looking at on social media, play people writing him off completely because some Mackhams have said he's bad. I mean, just let him play a bit first and we'll see where we go, shall we? Yeah, completely agree with you on that. I think quite a lot of the bad feeling towards him is related to contract discussions last summer where it sounds like there were some complications and he asked for more money than they wanted to offer or something along those lines. And, I mean, we've we you hear murmurings occasionally from time to time about players and you know being difficult with contracts. I mean, the most recent one would be what Mingi down at, at Pompey. There was you know, there's all sorts of rumors flying around. I don't know exactly what happened with that. It depends who you talk to. So I think it's sort of a similar thing where a fan base then gets an impression of a player, especially where he'd already been there for a while, and the fan base presumably felt like you know he owed them some sort of loyalty, but actually wanted more than what he was being offered, and that suddenly changes an entire perception of the player. I think you're spot on there, Fred, in terms of give the man a damn chance. I mean, one of my frustrations at, at Pompey recently has been that there are players that the fan base just decides to get on top of um, in a less sexual way than that sounded. And they just give them pelters and it has an effect. And I mean, the most recent example for me, obviously by the end of his time at Pompey, Marquis just wasn't scoring. I think it was 11 in 55 in his last 55 games. I 10, think 10 in 55. 10 in 55 was it in his last, yeah. Which obviously is not a return you would expect from number nine. I think it was best for all parties that he moved on when he did. But I think that's partially due to, not not totally, but there's a partial partial aspect of that that is because I think he stopped liking the fan base. I think he stopped liking the club. And that does make a difference. Even if you're you know, running as fast as you can on the pitch and doing your best, that has an effect for me. And I just don't want to see it happen to another player who's getting pelters you know, from Sunderland fans when he signed. And then you see the odd tweet as well, or more than the odd tweet. So, Proudy, for you, does this seem like a sign that Pompey are going to be sticking with the, the three centre-backs if Hume is a bit suspect defensively, potentially, but good going forward, delivers a lot of balls into the box, but potentially a little bit more robust defensively than than Hackett is? Well, I, th- I think it's Hume and Carter. Like, I think bringing in another centre-back probably you would assume that we are going to stick with three at the back because like Kieran Freeman's had his problems this year and I think it's quite evident to a lot of Pompey fans that he's not he's not obviously a great centre-back um, or a great fit in that system. And I think Hume coming in, uh, obviously strengthens, yeah, that left wing-back role for us. Uh, I think Rico is, he's done okay in that position. Obviously, he's not a natural left wing-back. Uh, he's just fitting in just and also because he is left-footed. Uh, and I think he's only one of very few who's actually the team who's left-footed. So, um, it's more of a case of, you know, sort of process of elimination. Who can we actually put there? Um, maybe, maybe it might be. Well, we have to obviously give Hume a chance. I think, um, you know, it's it. It might take a bit of time for him to get used to the system. Uh, I think he hasn't obviously hasn't played a lot of games recently, so he'll have to get up to speed with like our team, who would you'd say they're match fit, but obviously lacking cohesion. But yeah, I'm interested to see. I like you have to give him a chance. I think uh, one of the things I'm very much disliking about the club at the moment, uh, it's not actually an attack on the club, it's more the supporters, but there seems to be a growing contingent of people who seem to just want to have a moan at like anything that they can. And the fact that we're not signing someone from the Premier League uh, and we're signing someone from probably one of our promotional uh, promotion rivals uh, instead who can't get into their team. And then suddenly people thinking, oh, you can't be good enough for our team then. It's like, no, it's, it just depends on, you know, there's a load of factors that come into play. Like the fact that some people fans should know this, like, you know, like Harrison, Marquis all going and then they scored on their debuts. Like sometimes they just fit a different team or different system and they just suit that. So we have to give him a chance. Uh, we have to give him a chance. He'll strengthen that left wing back role for sure. Whether how much he strengthens it remains to be seen. Give him a chance. Uh, he's got about six months to you know, make that his own, especially with uh, rumours that Lee Brown might be on his way out. So yeah, it, it looks like Hume might be the only, might be the first choice left wing back we have and po- possibly the only one really if Rico's going to get moved back into the middle. It's playing that number 10 role that I, I know Danny likes to play him in uh, now and then. 
So, but yeah, on your question about like three at the back, I think we're going to stick with that for the rest of the season. I, I preferably would like to see a change in system, but that's only because I just don't think we have enough like full uh, momentum going forwards uh, when we're playing three at the back. I think we need to add an extra midfielder uh, to sort of solidify that middle of the pitch. What I what I enjoy there, there's a couple of things. First mm. of all, is you coming on the pod, a fan podcast, and being like, you know, you know, guys. What I really hate about this football club, yeah. fans, uh, which no. I think is a brave move in itself. It's, it's, it, it will be a brave move, but it's just, I'm seeing it all the time now. And it's just like constant, like, it's just the fact that, you know, as I said, like we're not signing players like Tyler Walker, when he signs, everyone was like excited because it's a player from the league above. And he obviously has performed at this level, which is great. And then you're obviously seeing other teams in our league who are signing players like uh, from the Premier League and stuff, but, and we're not, but, that doesn't mean to say that we can't. It's just that we're just choosing not to. So uh, we have to give every player that comes into the club a chance because, you know, everyone was raving on about Marcus when he signed. And unfortunately, it just didn't end like the way we hoped it would. So, uh, yeah, it's, you just, we just have to stay positive. Like if, like if Hume is on obviously the fit for us, then I think it's, you know, I think he can be under like, sorry, it's fair to say you can give him criticism, but until then, like you have to give him a chance. You can't just moan about a signing that we've just made from a, a, a direct rival of ours. The problem is they're proudly that people can and people will. That's the beauty of the internet. It's the beauty of the internet and the beauty of football. Everyone's, uh, everyone's fickle. So, <laughs> Yeah, I think it's a, it's a vocal minority, isn't it? Um, but unfortunately, that yeah, it's a very, very vocal minority. Yeah, it's growing. That's what mm. I'm seeing as well. It's a bit frustrating, but you just sound have to older. Live with it. Sound like more of an old man, proudly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like the youth of today on Twitter. Yeah, oh no! I bet they've all got TikTok as well. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you ever look at the Facebook comments and proudly. Uh, yeah, I, I just got on Facebook and I close it almost instantly. It's just constant like just bashing ev- anything and everyone. Like, I just think, oh, so it's just not really. Um, it's just not really like any positive positivity about it. Yeah. Oh, old man it yells at, it's literally old man yells at cloud is what we've just had there. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for that, it's, definitely, it's definitely stuff to criticize about the club, but sometimes it just gets, it just goes a bit, yeah, it, I think it just people, gets a bit much, doesn't it? Yeah. I think people sometimes just want to criticize something. So they just find anything they can criticize. And sometimes it's just like, that's not even justified at all, but that's, that's just, that is football for you. Yeah. You, you can criticize the Sunderland game enough. And I think we have, because we said, mm-hmm. We said some of the players haven't been good enough and they dropped off. And then, But really, I think with the current transfer situation, I don't think you can say any of the signings are outright bad already mm. in, in this January anyway. I think some people had that doubts about some players in the summer due to the fact that the club was scrambling around a little bit. Mm. But I think so far we just need to give it a few games, which is harder to say now because we're in the middle of the season and chasing the playoffs, which is getting further and further away. Speaking of sort of signings who are doing well at other clubs, did Downing go to, is it Rochdale or Southend? Is it Rochdale? Yeah. And I saw a couple of tweets saying that um, first game for them, he should have been awarded man of the match. I don't <laughs> care. <laughs> oh, that's, that's another thing. You know what really grinds my gears? It's like where the, the, the comment chains where it's like, doesn't play for us anymore. I don't give a shit. <laughs> it's like, well, I it's still interesting. I still, I'm, down, I'm, interested, <laughs> I'm interested in what they're up to. They've just, he only left the club like fairly recently. I mean, I want, if he scored three own goals on debut, I'd want to know about it. And if he's done really well, I want to know about it. I'm not going to mm. stay awake at night thinking about Paul Downing. I reserve that exclusively for Joe Morrell, but I want to know vaguely how he's getting on. Let's put let's move on, boys, before we uh, we go back to the Joe Morrell put on my ceiling topic, which makes people quite uncomfortable. So Ollie Weber, goalkeeper, has come in, a young goalkeeper coming in from I want to say Crystal Palace uh, on a short term, but you know it's not alone. It's a short term permanent switch with the possibility of it being turned into a longer deal. Assuming he performs, he's obviously not going to be ahead of Bazunu anywhere near in the pecking order. Mm. And we have Bazunu till the end of the season, even though Middlesbrough want him next year by the sounds of it. Fred, what does this mean for Alex Bass in the longer term, do you think? Not a lot. Um, basically, because for, from what I can tell from looking at Oliver Weber already, well, the first thing is, did you know he's from Portsmouth? He is literally from Portsmouth, if you read Neil Allen's column before he went to Northern Ireland. Do you want to get any more Portsmouth news plugs in tonight, Fred? <laughs> well, I, I, I <laughs> we have to tell it. people. You have a job. I, I, well done. It's, it's, it's a journalism thing. I have to tell people where I get my sources from. I can't, I can't, I can't just say something and it'd be wrong. And I'm like, oh my God. 
But yeah, I think I think for me it looks like Oli Weber will probably probably come in and back up Bazunu this season. Then the next season Bass will come back from his lowest spot at Bradford City and he'll he'll be the starting keeper. And then Oli, Oli Weber will be behind him. I think that's mm. pretty obvious. I think that's pretty obvious what the case may be. It's great that Bass is getting some game time. He had a very, very strong game in his first Bradford City game. I saw he made a ridiculous save, if you've seen it. Mm. Um, go, go, go from one post to the other for a point blank header. It was excellent. So I think maybe Ollie Weber will compete with the number one spot a bit more. Apparently, he's very comfortable on the ball. So he fits the sweep keeper mold that way. But I still, I still think next season, uh, uh, the number one shirt is Alex Bass's to lose unless Cowley brings in another keeper. Yeah, that's, yeah, fair comment. I don't actually have much to add to that. Fred, there was a, I think you said there was a 16-year-old you wanted to talk about quickly who I have not written down anything about. So, Oh yeah, uh, Toby Stewart. Basically, a high, highly rated keeper. I think he was on the bench one of the games recently. I think he was on getting youth appearances. Yeah, I think Pompey looking to tie him down uh, to a senior contract. And then maybe, since they don't have a B team, they'll probably, uh, not B team, excuse me, under 23s team, they'll probably look to get him out of loan spell get some early games, wherever that may be. But apparently he's got a very high ceiling and the Cowleys like him. So yeah, I don't think the deal is finished yet, but that is just something else. And it's nice to hear a name from the academy actually potentially get a senior deal. It's nice. It doesn't usually happen. Yeah, I think at this point it's important to do a shout out as well to the Portsmouth under-15s who lost 13-0 to Luton Town. So the future is bright, the future is blue. It's always encouraging. Remember the Arsenal um, said they would invest in the academy. Yeah. No, to be fair. So, sorry, I'm being Pompey Twitter. I'll go away. I'll go away. Uh, uh, Everything's un, fine. Uh, under 15s, that can very easily happen. But yeah, it gave me a bit of a, a laugh, to be honest with you. One question that we wanted to read out actually was sent in by Regan Mortimer. Regan, thank you for getting in touch. I hope it's Regan, not Reagan. Sorry if I've butchered that. Um, this is why Hugh is normally in charge. Is it actually a failure if Portsmouth do not end up with promotion this season? as Ipswich and Charlton were in the same sort of boat as us at the start of the season, but they had money to throw at the team. Considering the Cowleys haven't been given that, are they actually building a good stead for the future? Proudly, I'm going to flick that straight over to you and I'm going to quietly choke here. I think, uh, you know, (laughs) we've thought about like predictions and I think a lot of people probably didn't even have us in the playoffs um, before the season started. Uh, I certainly didn't. I, I think I remember coming on here and predicting that we'd finish about ninth, which we're roughly around, or we're 10th at the moment. So I could see us like finishing around there. I just think there's other teams in the league that are stronger than us. Uh, and it's so proven this season when we've played them. But I, I don't think it's a failure as as really, because you know we've we've had the issue and this season which has been clear and we're finally getting rid of them now but like jackets sort of players clearly weren't performing for us on massive uh, pay packets uh, which and we couldn't shift them and you know obviously didn't fit Cowley's system that he wants to play which i think is the way that it's a good way of playing it's just we haven't got the personnel yet still uh, i still think he does need a few more transfer windows uh, to bring in the players he wants um but yeah, there is promise. The fact that you can see a system being played with players that clearly don't fit the system means that once we do get those players that do fit the system, then hopefully we'll be in a lot better stead like next season. I know people want promotion like as fast as possible. They want to get to the championship and stuff. But I, I, but the, the worry I have is if we got into the playoffs, let's say we just got into the playoffs this season, somehow ended up winning the playoffs, sort of like Wickham did uh, in, in the COVID 2019-2020 season. And then you just go up and then you just expect to get battered every week. I mean, how how much fun is that meant to be? I don't understand. Like, it, it doesn't make any sense to me. In my opinion, I think we would be one of those teams, unfortunately. Like, I know a lot of people would say, oh, no, we'll be we'll be fine in the championship. But I, I, you see the amount of teams that go up from League One to the championship. They struggle completely all season. They're going to come back down again. And then they're just like sort of yo-yoing around the divisions. And I don't see the point of that at all. I think it's better that we build a, a strong base in League One and then hopefully consolidate in the championship and then build on from there. I just don't see the point in rushing. But then proudly, we got promoted in May 2017 to League One. Yeah. That's that's five years end of this season. Mm. How many years is consolidation, bud? It will be a record sixth season in the third yeah. tier of English football yeah. uh, for next season. But I think I think the gap, yeah, the gap between 
League Two and League One is a lot smaller than the gap between League One and the Championship. I think in the Championship, where you're having teams coming down for the Premier League with their parachute payments, and obviously they get a lot more money for the Premier League than the League One teams do. It is such a disparity, and uh, we would struggle that, and we would have to have huge investment in the uh, in the team like, if we went up to the Championship. And that, uh, if we're not making money like from player sales and stuff. If we're just going down the same route again that we did like years ago, like we're just spending way too much money beyond our means to like stay in a league, which you know we're probably not going to. I think that's the harsh reality of it. I, that's how I see it. I, I generally think if we got up to the championship anytime soon, we would struggle completely, absolutely struggle. And I don't see the fun of going to Fratton Park week in, week out just to see a team that is clearly 50, 60 times better than us and then battering us 4 0 because I, I generally could see that. I think um, there's a debate to be had whether like a shock promotion would be good because you can see some teams financially long-term wise they can just hold up the championship money and then even if they get relegated it doesn't matter because if you keep the similar team hmm. and keep similar manager and similar shape it's still a long-term thing anyway look at Rotherham with Paul Warren I mean obviously they invest a bit in the squad with the, with the promotions we've seen out of them and they can have shot results in the championship and they're still not good enough for the yeah. championship a lot of the time. In League One, they're an excellent team. They're an excellent team this season. I think I still think they could finish top potentially, mm. depending on how we can do. But I, I, I don't think, I wouldn't go as far as proudly to say that a shock promotion would be bad for the club long term. I think it would mm. just, yeah, I think it, it, there's still a gap there. And, I, and the problem is that gap is only going to get bigger and bigger and bigger because more football clubs in League One level are getting in new owners with new money and they're investing it in the playing squad more than Port so far because Port's owners for football club perspective are quite old. This will be their fifth. This is their fifth season, mm. and you have Wigan, you have Bolton, Ipswich. We can keep going with the with the with chair with um, football club owners who who are willing to spend more in wages than Port so far. It's quite simple. They're not uh, they're not doing any infrastructure stuff. They're just ploughing it all into in, into player recruitment and anything related to player recruitment as well. So that, so for fan so for Pong fans it's going to be hard to swallow and it's going to be harsh because you're looking at other teams getting more competitive quicker than Pompey are and there's no guarantee that Pompey could get promoted in another free four seasons it could it could randomly all go pear-shaped and we'd be back to square one again for the third time so it's very hard to go Pompey are in the weird position where the goal is promotion every single season because it's Portsmouth Football Club and it's the third tier of English football but they're not quite they don't have the resources that a lot of other clubs do mm. well boys I want us to go up now I, I can't be asked waiting around for it to be right you know, any of us could get hit by a bus in six months or tomorrow and he doesn't so. want to get a crew away that's why Look, honestly that, yeah, I don't. I don't, Fred. I've got no <laughs> no response to that. I think it's it's always easy to say that the next season is the most important. And I love a good, good cricket analogy. And one of the big criticisms of the ECB at the moment is that the England and Wales Cricket Board at the moment is that the next series is always the most important one, or the next Ashes is the most important one. And we're always building to the next thing, and we never really actually focus on the now. And then you get to the next big important one, and then you lose four nil or four point nine nil. And, you know, pretty much 5-0, that, that should have been really in the ashes. And I'm just conscious of us always looking too far forward. Like, I, I totally understand the the wage point you've made there, Fred. And I mean, Sunderland have made a couple of really astute signings in the last couple of, like, last week or so. Like, players that I would have been... Bloody, Roberts is a coup, by the way. Yeah, mm. I'd have been thrilled if, um, if any, if I think the last three Sunderland signings, if any of them had ended up at Pompey, I'd have been buzzing. But yeah, potentially at the moment we have to accept that isn't happening for whatever reason. Maybe, maybe need a summer transfer window to get rid of the the rest of the jacket. Deadwood, I don't know. I think with Marquis and Harrison gone, I I think I expected a little bit more from this transfer window than we've got. But then wholesale changes aren't always perfect, and they were unbeaten in what ten games coming into the transfer window. So that's not panic stations, is it? But I don't really have a point here, Fred. If we don't get promoted this year, I think I know what your answer is going to be to this. I hope I do anyway. Have the Cowleys failed this year? I think failed's too strong because we knew the job, the job that the Cowleys were going to do this summer 
I think failure would have been not competing for the playoffs if it if it dropped off below bid table. The, below the night is young on that one, Freddie. <laughs> well, so, wow, wow, yeah, and you thought you thought I was being cynical, <laughs> but um, um, no. But if if Pompey was so far away and not even competitive, then it'd be a failure of a season. If Pompey are in and around the playoff race for the rest of the season and miss, it's just how it is. And then people say. Well, the club hasn't grown. We haven't we haven't gone up by a league position. Yeah, but this is a, this will be a completely new team, completely new setup, and everything around it. And to keep a similar spot and be slightly better would be acceptable, in my opinion. Yeah. But like we've been saying earlier, it's Portsmouth Football Club, so the the expectation is always to be competitive at the top end of the table. Yeah. I don't think I don't think our natural resting place is League One. It's not. It, I mean, I was brought up with us in Div One, so Championship. To me, that's what Pompey are because that's what they were in my childhood when I first started going to games. You know, sort of nineteen ninety nine ish. I started going, and yeah, it was a mid to lower mid table Div One club, and then suddenly things got pretty epic in sort of two thousand and three for a bit, and it was wonderful. But League One seems a little bit below where we should be content with but it is just quickly before we move on it is such a big jump up to the championship like uh, like proudly said there in that I mean you look at other teams that have done extremely well in League One and other players I mean you look at Peterborough for example um, I mean Johnson Clark Harris isn't it who uh, basically just tore up League One and I saw him getting absolute pelters the other day after the last Peterborough game and then you've got sort of McCann being sacked from Hull today, even though they were seventh in the form table, which seems a little bit odd. Um, I think that's more of an owner thing than anything else. But I think things change when you get promoted. And don't get me wrong, I would love us to get promoted and then we can see what the changes are and then we can just complain about them on the podcast. But yeah, it's it's. I'd forgotten how big the step up was, basically, I think. And there are occasional reminders on social media that, or not even social media, there are occasional reminders in the results of the games that, it is a massive step up. It's exactly the same between Premier League and Championship now, yeah. in my opinion, relatively. Yeah, I mean, you see, yeah, teams walk the Championship and then just be on struggle in the Prem, don't you? But um, we'll deal with that problem when we get to it, Fred. When uh, when we win the Championship in 2022-2023, we will worry about how we're going to deal with City away. That's a, a problem I'm okay with having further down the line. Um, I think, let's move on to the final part. Hope that answers your question, Regan. And I've just not butchered your name again. Final thing for us to really chat about, I guess, is the Charlton game on Monday the 31st. Um, so I won't be coming down because I am very, very likely to be isolating at that point. But you boys, I'm imagining, are going to the game. So Charlton, currently 14th in the table, um, started the season really poorly under Nigel Adkins, got rid at probably the right time in hindsight and taken over by Johnny Jackson who is now their permanent manager. Um, he won seven out of 10 in his first uh, first 10 games in the role as interim manager and got given the gig full-time. Last game, last game out, they beat Fleetwood 2-0. Then in a game that where the squads featured McGillivray, Harrison and Callum Johnson. So there's just, you know, Pompey incest going on everywhere. It's like, there's the, honestly, I just think looking at League One squads, there's just so many ex-Pompey players. I don't know if that's always been the case, but I really noticed it the last couple of years. Before that Fleetwood 2-0 win, they scored a last-minute equaliser in what I've heard was a fairly undeserved draw away against Cheltenham. And what sticks out to me is a 2-1 defeat away against Crewe. And from my memory, Crewe were really bad at football. And before that, 1-0 defeats to Wickham and Plymouth. So first of all, any danger men you want to pick out there? I'll go. I'll throw it to you, Freddie. Any danger men from the Charlton side you want to pick out other than obviously the goalkeeping position, who we know extremely well? And what the Pompey have to do in this game that they didn't do against Sunderland, MK Dons and Wimbledon? Yeah, there's a few names. There's a few names to point out there. Johnny Jackson, apparently, according to Charlton's website, had the best start of a Charlton manager in their first 10 games in their history, apparently, winning 7 of 10, which is mental to me. Um, Danger men to point out, obviously, Jason Stockley scoring 11 11 goals from 23 games, XG of 8.39, so he's overplaying that. He's He's not even getting the chances that some would expect, but he's still putting them away, scoring all sorts of goals, header, uh, headers, uh, short-range crosses in the box, that type of thing. To stop him, Sean Rackett has to man-mark him pretty much, stick next to him the entire game and stop the service getting to him from the final third. 
They play a 3-5-2 as well, so it's going to be a very big matchup. But they mainly they play with three deep in midfielders, so it's a proper 3-5-2 rather than like a 3-4-3. In the middle, their main player, playmaker is Elliot Lee, ex-Luton ex Town, four assists this season. And like I said, plays in the middle, but obviously gets licensed enough to go forward with that number. And another player I want to mention, Dialang Jayasimi, left wing back. And basically, I'll point him out because he's got an engine. He's got an engine on him, and he could properly cross the ball. Um, so it adds a lot of width. And if he's putting in those crosses into Jaden Stockley, we could be in trouble. So to get onto a second point about what what Pompey actually needs to do, which they haven't been in the last few games, the delivery just has to be better. It has to be better. There can't be any more free kicks or corners not waiting past the first man. There can't be aimless. There can't be misplaced crosses from wide areas and I think the main thing is if Pompey players do get the ball to the front three they have to offer them more options from runners from midfield just to move the ball a little bit quicker Okay, Proudy in addition to about 30% of the matchday squad that Freddie has listed there from the Charlton lineup, is there anyone that jumps out Three at you? Three players. Or, <laughs> or um, anyone, anyone that jumps out to you or any thoughts you've got specifically ahead of the game, buddy? No, I'm just worried about, like, I think their midfield is probably more experienced than ours. Players like Alex Gilby, uh, Charlie Kirk, Albie Morgan, uh, Sean Clare. You know, they're, they're, these are players who have played in League One like for a couple of seasons now. And I worry that Obviously, playing a three-five-two, having like uh, th- basically three in the middle. Uh, sorry, you got a two in the middle. Like whether like they're going to overpower like Morel, whoever actually plays in midfield this weekend. Uh, sorry, on Monday will be interesting who we match them up against. My biggest, my biggest concern actually isn't even to do with the squad. I was, I was thinking about this the other day, and I was like. I'm pretty sure Charlton, every time they come down to Fratton Park, they always seem to get a result against us. And I was actually just checking the results. And obviously, I don't want to put a down on it. But apparently, the last time we've been them at Fratton Park was in 2005. Oh, uh, and they've, they've won they've won in the Premier League in 2007 against us at Fratton Park. In 2018, in the 17-18 season, they beat us 1-0 when we were chasing the playoffs and so were they. Then the season after, when we were having that great run of form, they beat us 2-1 at Fratton Park when we were top of the league. In 2019, 20, uh, sorry, in 2020-21, uh, they beat us 2-0 at Fratton Park. So we haven't, yeah, like we, <laughs> we we have absolutely struggled against them at Fratton Park for like years and years. And that's what worries me the most. Like, I feel like even when they're not having a great game, they will still do us over. And I, and I actually forgot to mention as well, in terms of midfield, they've got Ben Watson. And if Ben Watson plays, he hasn't played too much this year, but he's quite an experienced head to have in midfield. And he's probably, he's definitely got more experience than Sean Williams. Like, um, and so he's more. Do you like, think how isn't Sean Williams? Didn't he play like a, about five thousand games for for Millwall? <laughs> yeah, I know he's so he's so talented. Uh, no, he's so experienced, but he's um yeah. That's uh, that's my biggest concern. I, I think Charlton's midfield, uh, like looking at like the numbers that uh, or the amount of appearances they have. They, yes, they don't really get as many assists, and uh, they don't like contra- sorry, they don't score as many goals. But that does worry me, like because the midfielder is always going to win you games, and if our midfield gets overwhelmed by Charlton's, then we're going to be in for a long game again. But yeah, they, you know they're 14th in the league. Uh, haven't obviously had the greatest run of form recently I think our, since the turn of the year their form has been pretty similar to ours except they've actually won a game so yeah it's uh, I don't know it, it depends how we start I think the, the start of the game once again is going to be crucial we're going to have to try and get an early goal and then try and um, try and control the game from that but then again that did happen when we played them away we scored after six minutes through Rona Curtis and then found ourselves uh, found ourselves uh, level you know, just after the break managed to get ahead again and then conceded in the 87th minute, which we shouldn't have. But yeah, Charlton, Charlton's, a, Charlton's an interesting one. Uh, they're an interesting team. I think they're obviously not performing to their expectations, but you could probably put that down to the fact they had a really bad run of form at the start of the year. Yes, yeah, I'm not sure. This is this is going to be a tight game. I, I think if I had to predict, I think it's it's a one one goal victory uh, for either side. I think it's it's got 1-0 written all over it. But that is hopefully to Pompey. That's a plug we do not endorse. Yeah, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully, hopefully to hopefully, hopefully to Pompey. But mm. yeah, the, the midfield worries me the most. That, that's what I'm. Yeah, our midfield isn't as strong as theirs. I, in my opinion, to jump back a little bit in your point there, the I think the Premier League game. It was it 2007. You said we lost. I think I was at that game. I, I think that was the year. It was when Ben Thatcher made his first appearance back at Fratton Park. 
mm. for a team after he moved to Charlton from Man City where he'd knocked Mendes out on the touchline. And it was when the Fratton end didn't have a, sorry, not the Fratton end, it was when the Milton end didn't have a roof on it. And for some reason, I think, what was I? I was 15. So I probably went with my dad, I imagine. And for some reason, he got us tickets in the home portion of the away end. Mm. And their fans, like sorry, the home portion of the Milton end. And their fans were really not okay with the amount of grief that Ben Thatcher was getting. I don't know if they knew why he was getting it. And uh, yeah, they started like, like lobbing loads of bottles at us. It was great. It's just what you want. So I've got really happy memories of, I don't think I've been to any of the Charlton games since that I can think of. I must've done. I don't know. But that's, that's my, yeah, we've all got very positive Charlton memories, clearly. Mm. Freddie, do you want to contribute some positivity there? So Freddie's saying that we might lose 1-0, um, but he's hoping we win 1-0. Uh, what are you thinking for the game, Fred? Let's, let's do predictions as Proudy's jumped and, and, um, and given his there. Oh, tough one. Uh, I feel I swear I say that every week though most of the time considering how Pompey have been playing I do like Charlton's midfield like Proudy is saying but to me they only look like they've got one way of scoring goals which is through Jen Stockley I don't mm. really think any of their other attackers are that good I mean Chuck's an EK is an okay striker but he's not he's not going to set the world on fire um, and their wing backs are more crossing based rather than scoring based as well which is something to keep in mind. I'm just going to go to be positive again and go for a 2-1 Pompey win based off of the fact that there needs to be a reaction out of the three games. Maybe the summer, maybe the new signings will give Pompey a little bit of a lift. Hopefully there'll be a change in uh, the front three. If Jacob starts, there'll be a bit more impetus to give the fans a bit of an edge in this game. And goal scorers, I'll say Michael Jacobs because I hope that hopefully he starts. So we'll go Michael Jacobs and Tyler Walker with Jaden Stockley scoring for Charlton because obviously an ex-Pompey player has to score against Pompey because that's that's law, isn't it? Is that is that being written into statute now, Fred? I like it might as well be. It might as yeah. well be. That's right. I can, there's just so much positive positivity just like vibing off this conversation it's about the game. Two, one, How Honestly, that like. <laughs> I really feel like the last three games have worn me down a little bit. <laughs> it's not the alcohol for the weekend, is it? It's not the no. I'm way beyond that, unfortunately, Fred. Um, yeah, way beyond that. I think it's the sort of game if we get on top early, it could be a, a nice return to form. But I think Jacobs has to start. Right? I just feel very worn down. I don't. I don't. I'm not feeling that big positivity vibe. I can see Craig having just an incredible 90 minutes, which would be really, really irritating. I do. I do quite like it. Sort of a direct keeper off between McGillivray and Bazunu. That's one of the things that I'm going to be keeping an eye out for. Mm. Um, but okay, so we're going for a close game either way, basically. Um, I'll go for, I don't care at this point, I'll go for a 2-0 Pompey win for literally no reason other than it's the first the score that came into my head. I'm not really basing that on anything this time around. But yeah, I think Jacobs does have to start here. If he's not done enough to deserve a start now, you may as well piss off in the next five days because he's not going to get any game time and I wouldn't want to stay if I was him because he's making a difference when he comes on. I mean, I rate him I want him to stick around but if I was him and I'm showing I can do bits and I still don't get played then I would go somewhere I was going to get played like he almost did at Ipswich potentially over summer but I think that's everything boys mm. I think that's it all it's probably um, given his prediction yeah yeah 1-0 1-0 yeah, Pompey right yeah, no, we've got one nil Pompey. I didn't say anything about Charlton possibly winning, so yeah, we'll, we'll breeze past. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna break that bogey run of ours against them. So it's got to happen sometime. Yeah, it's like to. the uh, it's like playoff games. Eventually, we're gonna win one. Yeah, that's you why I don't want the playoffs. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's why I don't want the playoffs this year. So because we're just gonna go through another two games of losing again. Uh, wow. On that note, <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> Have a great Sorry day. Down there, yeah, exactly. If you're listening, hoping for a little pick me up at the end of the podcast, then uh, there, there it is for you. Um, and as a reminder, we're all mortal and all going to die. So that's a, a really happy way to end the podcast from all of us. If, if you want to pick me up, go to Newcastle on a night out, have some treble vodkas. It makes you feel better. Yeah, the trebles for a fiver. Like you can't get a single in Oxford for a fiver. It's outrageous. <laughs> what a great place. Anywho, other than the fact that we've all got ill after going up there, it's been dandy. So thank you very much, Sunderland, for, for having us. Speaking of being saying thank you for having us, Fred, lovely to chat to you. It was lovely to spend the weekend with you. I'm regretful that I'm not the one who's had my tongue inside your ear in the last seven days. I'm a little bit low-key jealous um, of this random girl. But thank you for coming on the pod. <laughs> I am losing no, my shit. No worries, Andy. Awesome weekend. Uh, awesome podcast, as usual. <laughs> I really wouldn't go that far. Um, Proudy, great to see you. Thank you for coming on. Always a pleasure, never a chore, my friend. 
Yeah, thank you very much. It's, yeah, as I said, it's it's always a pleasure coming on here. Obviously, it's not the most positive I've been this season, but I'm sure uh, the next time I appear, I'll be in better spirits. I think hopefully we'll get you on the day before the playoff final, Proudly, and we'll oh, be absolutely oh, great. Yeah, <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll just talk about how we suddenly can't sign anyone, and everyone's signing everyone like for big money, and we're just still faffing about with like renovations or something like that. So yeah, well, we're, we're really desperate to finish on a high here, aren't we, Proudly? We're yeah. doing everything we can. <laughs> No, I'm just, I'm just, like, I'm just trying to bring some positive vibes. I think if I, if I lower our expectations far enough, then I think the next few games will bring us back up again. And we're like, okay, oh. we'll go with that. Yeah. One quick shout out: we've, for the first time ever, done this in one clean take, which is unprecedented, and mostly because Hugh is too ill to edit. I'm feeling too ill to edit, and we've actually not made any jokes that are so non-PC we can't put them on the airwaves so that to me tells me that Hugh is the reason we normally make those jokes because he's the common denominator so buzzing Hugh we'll see you next week boys thank you very much as the lurgy spreads through the PO forecast uh, yeah pray for the PO forecast and play up Pompey you have been listening to the PO forecast for Pompey News Now. Available on SoundCloud, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Follow PO Forecast and Pompey News Now on Twitter for more information. And there is the full time whistle. <laughs>